0: Hey, gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to this very special bonus episode of The Hustle. So we're doing something a little different this time. I always really liked the late, great Canadian blues guitar phenom, Jeff Healy. And Jeff passed away in 2008. And so we're bringing on his widow, Christy Hall Healy, and one of his best friends, Roger Costa. Together, they are the co-administrators and archivists for the estate of Jeff Healey. So we're gonna talk about Jeff and what he was like and uh, you know, how talented he was. I thought it would be really fascinating to dig into Jeff and who he was by people who knew him best. So you may remember the Jeff Healey band in the late 80s hit really big with their first album, See the Light and that huge hit, Angel Eyes. Remember that? I had the single for Angel Eyes. It was a standard on every girl's mixtape back in the day. Well, their second album, Hell to Pay, is my favorite. I think that came out in 1990, if I remember right, 1989. Anyway, it featured this song right here. Their cover of Mark Knopfler's I Think I Love You Too Much. I love this song. In fact, there's a moment in this song that is one of my favorite captured moments in rock. Uh, He's doing a solo, Jeff's doing this killer solo, and then that solo even gets elevated and rises higher. And you can hear, sort of faintly in the background, Jeff just yell out, Yeah! And, but it's it's not right in the mic, so it sounds almost like it's spontaneous, like he was really feeling it. In fact, listen for it right here. that so good i love that little just spontaneous moment of passion anyway the jeff healy band sort of they came to an end around the mid 90s but what i don't know if people realize is that jeff turned his attention to the trumpet and he became a very well regarded jazz and dixieland trumpet player keep in mind this man is blind okay blind anyway Between Christy and Roger, we get a feel for for what uh, Jeff was really like. We talk about those early days in the Jeff Healy Band. We talk about his appearance in Roadhouse. That is so much fun. I love Roadhouse. And then uh, we also get this. So Jeff was a huge record collector. 30,000 records are in their home. How does a blind man keep track of 30,000 records? It's one of the best stories we've ever heard on this show when Christy details his whole his whole process for uh, archiving and keeping these records in order. It's fascinating. We talk about the later years, we talk about how he died, and then near the end of of the conversation, Christy and Roger explain all of the things that are in the pipeline right now for Jeff Healy. If you are a fan, you're going to want to click on the link to their website, which we have in the show description right here, and keep track of all of it. Now I did this interview a couple of months ago, I think it was in May, and so some of the things that are talked about have actually already come out. But anyway, if you're interested in Jeff Healy, learning more about the man, finding out what's coming out, uh, you'll definitely want to keep track, okay? Anyway, these two joined us from Toronto. We're so lucky to have heard from them. Okay. Well, for starters, so let's kick this off. Um, just, I want to be able to explain to the listeners exactly who we're talking to. And I so, and I think the best way to do that is to allow the two of you to introduce yourselves. Christy, why don't we start with you?
1: Okay. I'm Christy Healy, and I'm uh, the widow of Jeff Healy and also the executor of his estate and co-administer of his estate.
2: Okay, and then Roger, tell us about you. I'm Roger Costa. I uh, co-administer Jeff's estate as well, and uh, Jeff was a dear friend of mine for over 21 years. That's amazing,
0: and uh, it's been 12 years now, right? We lost Jeff in January. No, March, March of uh, 2018 or t- 2008. Correct?
2: Yeah. 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 When you said when you said 12, I had to check myself because it seems like it's nowhere near that long. I know. Yeah. And I had to, I had to think. I was about to correct you, and then I thought, no, actually, it has been 12. Geez. Isn't that wild? Yeah.
0: I remember it so well because the day before, I uh, had pulled out my Jeff Healy CDs for the first time in a while. I would—I I mean, I've been a fan since the beginning, but you know, I'm a big music guy, and it had been a while, been a couple of years maybe since I had pulled out my Jeff Healy CDs, and I went on this big Jeff Healy tear. And the very next day, it was announced that he was gone. And it was so sad because it had felt like if you were a fan from the beginning, like I was, you hadn't necessarily heard about Jeff for a long time. You know, He wasn't as much in the public eye, he wasn't being played on the radio quite as much. And uh, it's always even more bittersweet to me, I think when someone like that passes away because you realize that you've been taking them for granted for a long time. And now they're no longer here for you to honor anymore. So I just thought it would be really interesting to be able to kind of tell his story and honor him this in in this way with people, obviously, who know him very well. And so my thinking for this conversation is I really want to know, I want you to tell us about Jeff. And if it's in most conversations like this are going to be very honorary, of course. You know, he was a wonderful man and he did these wonderful things and he's going to sound like a prince. If you want to tell us the funnier, less... Honorary stuff, too, you can do that as well. But I just thought, let's get to know Jeff Healy here, you know? For starters, Christy, why don't you tell us, when did you come into Jeff's life?
1: I met Jeff in 2001, in July of 2001. (laughs) I went down to his club. As funny as this may sound, I I went down on a karaoke night to Jeff's club for someone's birthday party. Okay. It's a very unique <laughs> Meeting I went down I joined the party and people were up doing their usual stuff and singing and a friend of mine that I was working with at the time said uh, well, They haven't called your name up, but these other people are going up two and three times and I said, oh, okay Well, that's that's fine so he went up and checked in my name was underneath someone else's and you know the person running karaoke who happened to be a friend of Jeff's he apologized he said oh, I'll put her to the front of the list and so, you know, my friend assured me well, you know, I'd be up next, and then all of a sudden they called Jeff up. And Jeff gets up and does some karaoke, and as his sense of humor was, he pretended to read the screen and do his little uh-huh. dance there. And, <laughs> and, and partway through the song, it occurred to me, oh my God, am I gonna have to get up after him? Oh.
0: <laughs> and sure enough,
1: I, I sure enough I did. Really? Yeah. So my 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 the first thing out of my mouth was, how am I supposed to follow that? <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Do you remember what you sang?
1: What I sang? Yeah. Uh, I actually sang um, Angel by Sarah McLachlan. Oh,
0: very good choice. Fellow and, Canadian. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this, was the club, is Jets Club in Toronto? Yes, it was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And were you, had you been to the club before? And how did you two, you know, he can't see you to think you're hot or anything how does he uh how do you two even begin a relationship how does he start flirting with you
1: well it it, it's funny because it was it was because of of the karaoke he asked his friend who was running the karaoke who the person was that sang and so we got chatting went over and said hello and then uh two friends that i was with wanted to go over and and say hello but they were too nervous so i dragged the two of them over and Uh (laughs) and introduced myself again and and introduced uh two of my friends and and then we we all started frequenting uh healy's for karaoke nights and different band nights and uh jeff would would often be there
3: Mm.
1: and so we just struck up a friendship and we were friends for a few months before we started dating
0: Mm. okay where do you guys just start calling each other? Do you hang out? Do you, um, where do you go on your first date? Even
1: we, you know, our first date was like it was it was coffee. We we oh. would go for coffee when the when the club would close down at the end of the night. Okay, wow. And that really was was our our first date. It was, you know, coffee at uh, two or three in the morning
0: mm-hmm.
1: at whatever place happened to still be open.
0: <laughs> okay. Did you know him? Were you, did you know his music or were you just sort of dragged to the club with, by your friends?
1: Oh, no, I, 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 knew his music. Absolutely. The club was fairly new to Toronto. It had opened that summer and I think I was there within the first month of it being opened. Okay. Um, so friends of ours. And I, and when I say I went down with a colleague, I was, I was doing some work myself on an album and, and we were doing some recording. And so it was, you know, the newest hotspot to go to for live music. And a friend of mine said, well, you know, uh, Joanne's having her birthday down there. Yeah. It's karaoke night. We, we should all go down. And and that's it just kind of happened. And I almost didn't go.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> all I, these I,
0: great stories start with was, something like was, that, don't was, they?
1: Yeah, I know. I yeah. was exhausted. We were in the studio for most of the day. And I said, you know, I'm just I'm exhausted. and I really don't feel like being social. I, I'm just. I think I'll stay home. And he said, "Well, you know, if you change your mind, there'll be about 15 of us down there." So, and it was probably about an hour before the evening was about to start. I changed my mind and I headed mm-hmm. down.
0: Nice. Now you said in the studio. Are you a recording artist too? I
1: I was singing back then. I don't really do much of it anymore. But singing was okay. my instrument. <laughs>
0: okay. So not a, so that uh, that says a lot because I feel like that. That obviously creates a common ground or a bond between the two of you is the music. It's not just we're getting along and we're enjoying each other, but we're both musicians. We care deeply about that stuff. Is that an aspect of your relationship?
1: It, it was, actually. Okay. And, and that's really how we got talking. It was because of the singing. It was because of the music. And we gotcha. did have a, a friendship. And it was more of a business relationship in the beginning. Oh. He, was, he was asking me what I was doing with the music, who I was working with. Uh, whether I had management so it all started uh, more of a curiosity what are you doing with your music Mm -hmm. and that kind of evolved into a friendship and that evolved into obviously more
0: okay okay now Roger let's switch to you how you mentioned being friends with Jeff going back 21 years I believe how did you two get to know each other
2: the way we met is is nowhere near as uh, sweet as. Uh, <laughs> <meeting>. <laughs> I would hope, I guess, yeah. you know. We could never we could never pin down the time, the exact day or like time period. It was either late '86 or early '87, and uh, I had just gone through a, a, a messy breakup with a, a girlfriend at the time, and a buddy of mine called me up and said, "Hey, you got to check out this uh, this hot guitar player." He's playing in town. He's, you know, he's this, that, and the other thing. He sounds like Hendrix. He's blind. Uh, i was like, yeah, okay, sure. So we went to see Jeff that night. I got completely drunk at that, <laughs> and I was, I was floored. I was absolutely floored. And uh, at the end of the night, I, uh, I remember muttering something to to Jeff about, you know something absolutely drunk and ridiculous like you know something about the second coming or something like that and he just sort of tilted his head towards me and with his with his typical uh, dry humor he just went uh thanks <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so and he was doing a week-long residency at this club I mean this is well before any record deals or anything like that and and I ended up going back uh, every night that week uh sober and um just I just it was amazing to watch him play. And during that period too, especially, he was very uh hungry and his his performances were I mean they were always amazing, but they were just completely off the hook. I mean he he was really tapping into that whole at that point it was almost it became a criticism for for a while of his early days, but he was really tapping into the whole Hendrix vibe and putting the show on extra thick which helped immensely in his uh, in his uh, getting a reputation around town. Anyway, so he would be, you know, playing the guitar behind his head, playing with his teeth. Uh, I wow. saw, I saw him poke more than one hole in the ceiling of this particular club with his guitar as he threw it up into the air. You know, so it was just it was a pretty spectacular show to watch, uh, especially in a small club. And we just started uh, you know chatting. The more I hung around, and we just struck up a friendship. I uh, like Christy, I mean, I've always been um, involved uh, in music. Uh, I don't play myself, but mm-hmm. I've been in and around the music industry for all of my adult life. Um, managing bands, worked for a record company for a while, did uh, roading, I mean, a bit of everything you could think of. I owned a record store in Toronto for a bunch of years later on. But anyway, so we started, we struck up a conversation and we found we had very similar um, sense of humor, which is kind of, nice. I think... What sustained our friendship over over uh, the decades is that we were yeah. both uh, when we were together, you know, we were just a couple of complete idiots. So, right. believe it or not, uh, one of the earliest things that we bonded on is that Jeff was a huge fan of Looney Tunes.
0: Really, <laughs> <laughs> straight.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, then when you think about those compared to some mm-hmm. of the other cartoons and that, I mean, there there's a lot of music going on. Yeah lot of uh, a lot of uh, sort of snappy uh, dialogue and and banter and stuff and and uh yeah so we that was one of the first things that we bonded on we used to quote ridiculous cartoons to each other all the time and stuff like that and i think, yeah,
1: for, jeff, I think for jeff with the cartoons too specifically looney tunes which is something we often talked about once our son came along and started watching cartoons it was the voices that mel blank did yeah, he loved yeah. the difference in the voices and he said you know sometimes some of the cartoons we would listen to when our son came into the picture he'd be like okay this is like listening to a bunch of kids just talk like, mm-hmm. there's nothing unique about it he loved every aspect of the looney tunes from the music to the banter but the voices specifically He loved that. and he used to imitate them as well <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love to hear that that's great okay let's now neither of you were necessarily there in the heyday back in 88 when angel eyes becomes this giant hit
4: girl you're looking fine tonight and every guy has got you in his side what you're doing surely one life's little
0: It's interesting, and getting ready to talk to you guys. I I guess I just... Sorry, always actually just... I mean
2: I I, I oh. was I was around uh, all, like throughout that whole period. I mean, I was Oh, you were. I wasn't on the road or anything with him, but I mean, I, Jeff and I were friends all through that.
0: Oh, I guess I I guess I missed that part cuz when you said you knew him for 21 years, I'm thinking okay, that's around 1999.
2: That would have been oh, no, no, before he died. Oh. Yeah, not 21 Got years it. ago. So it was 80 it was uh, it was either, it. it was either late 86 or early 87 that we met. Okay, okay, that
0: makes more sense. Okay, great. Now, uh, so I am curious when Angel Eyes becomes this number five hit and See the Light takes off, I actually prefer the follow up album Held to Pay. That's one of my favorites. Great I was curious. Yeah, I was curious. I guess, Roger, then you're the best suited person to ask this question. Do you know what Jeff's relationship to success was? Because he starts out, I mean, he's barely 20 I believe like 2021 20, 22 when see the light comes out it's a huge thing granted there's a there's an aspect of wow a blind guitar player how does this guy do that you know that makes it even more appealing at first it sustains for a couple of albums then it kind of starts to die down do you know how he felt about the trajectory of his career his early career I should say
2: I think that he was kind of divided about it i mean Uh, like anyone thrust into that position i mean you know he was playing for an audience so he obviously liked the that level of attention so when people you know started fawning over him more and and the the big shows started happening and all that he really he appreciated that but he also was a very private person and really loved to just get away from everything and love off the road as well having said that his his Biggest thing throughout all of that period was he just he loved to play. So yeah. even when he was at home, hanging out with his friends or or just being off of the road and away from like the giant shows or whatever, he would still go and jam constantly. Mm. He loved to just get up and play with other musicians, and it didn't matter if it was the tiniest hole in the wall or a giant, you know, uh, you know, fifty thousand people stadium or whatever. Yeah,
0: we should establish, christy Maybe you would know this best. If I remember correctly, his unique playing style came from. I'm trying to remember. I think I remember an interview from back then saying something about because if he laid the guitar flat, he it allowed him to reach more notes with his hands because he could stretch his hands out wider. Is that
1: does this ring true? Well, he did. He he did use that technique, but the mm-hmm. actual reason of why he he started playing on his lap was in, there was an interview. We did with Jeff's dad, and Jeff's dad actually, I think, played a bit of uh, like a Hawaiian guitar when he was oh. quite young. And, and so when they gave Jeff a guitar when he was three, they changed the action on the strings because the guitar was too big for him. So he would lay it on the bed, mm. and they changed the action on the strings so that he would it, it would be easier for him to play it. He got used he, to standing beside the bed, and then he started to use his thumb to
2: well he was using a slide in those early days too like a hawaiian style and bar so um and as he put it in in uh, some interviews uh back in the day that you know he spent um several years torturing his parents with all kinds of weird noises before he started trying (laughs) actually uh he was trying to copy what he was hearing uh, yeah
0: you can absolutely hear a lot of stevie ray vaughn in his guitar playing. And my understanding is that Stevie had a hand in sort of discovering him. Do you remember any of this, Roger? I mean, that to be discovered by someone who I'm assuming is his one of his guitar heroes has to be a mind-blowing experience.
2: Jeff met Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, the year before he and I met. But what had happened was uh, Albert Collins was playing at the, a bar called Albert's Hall in town. A friend of Jeff's had taken him down and convinced Albert to let Jeff get up and jam, and Albert was completely floored by him. And he told Jeff and his friend uh, Corey Milak, "You know, you guys got to come back tomorrow. Steve Ravon's in town, and he's going to come down and jam, and I'd like mm. you guys to jam together."
3: Mm. And that's
2: how that uh, happened. It was actually mm. Albert Holmes that put the two of them together. Ah, uh, okay. And, uh, so Steve Rayvon played with Jeff the next night and was again just completely knocked out by him and they got along really well and they became they struck up a friendship which lasted throughout Stevie's short uh, life so I met uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan there's that famous clip of Jeff and Stevie playing uh, on YouTube uh, uh, CBC studios and that was uh, in 87 was there for that and that was by that point they were they were fast friends i mean they they had a just a similar just sensibilities they were both very Mm -hmm. grounded Mm -hmm. steve Grayvon at that point was also um turning over a new chapter in his life he he had cleaned himself up and Mm -hmm. and was sort of moving forward with all that and so they 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 really really got along Uh, jeff tended to not be starstruck so much Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he took people on a Individual by individual basis. So, uh, and Jeff could be notorious for not suffering fools. So, I mean, there's there's a few famous people that I won't mention. Some okay. players that Jeff kind of hated. Ooh, really? <laughs> um, and nothing to do with their playing, but just because as people they they turned him off. Uh, yeah. Uh, quickly, and so he just he just didn't have any time for that. He wasn't a suck up. He didn't um, care if someone was famous or not. Um, wow! So it had to do it had more to do with with you know the person you know if you were a great player that's awesome then you yeah. know you can jam but you know if you're if you're a jerk then I don't I don't care
0: right right wow <clears throat> that's great Christy do you remember were there any stories from I mean I'm kind of trying to take this on a on a tr- on a chronologically here when you look back when he look would look back at the the height really of his success in the late 80s and early 90s. Do you remember any stories he would tell? Were there favorite anecdotes or meetings or moments that you knew really mattered to him and meant a lot?
1: That part of his career, he didn't really discuss too much with me. We would hear more anecdotes talking with, with friends in particular. Oh, okay. Uh, and they would be the ones sort of sharing the stories Jeff and I had a, a different kind of relationship, but not, I wouldn't say it's different, but we, we had uh, a relationship that didn't necessarily revolve around the, the industry or the music. Even though I was singing, mm-hmm. we connected on the personal part of his life right. rather than the music part. So, it, I mean, contrary to what people might think, and I remember someone asking me, oh, wow, your house must be full of music. Jeff must be playing mm-hmm. all the time. never picked his guitar up at home really no like it was family time you know his records were another story the almost 3,000 records that we had in our basement yeah (laughs) they were were played all the time but yeah but uh, as far as me being in 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 that part of his life you know before our son came along I you know I did tour with him um, but at that point he wasn't touring as much and I did sort of see that side of his life Mm. but by the time I came into his life, it was more uh, really we focused on the personal side of his life. And although mm-hmm. he did touch on some aspects of, you know, back in the day, it wasn't something that he reflected a lot with me.
2: Okay. Um, okay. With yeah, the, Roger. With, with famous musicians or, or well-known people, it was almost, again, like he took the he took people at their value as opposed to their fame or whatever. So mm-hmm. quite often... You know, we would be talking about something unrelated and he would mention something sort of in passing, um, you know, the, some the a certain you know, guitar player or whatever. And I would, you know, stop him and I'd be like, well, how the hell do you know that person? And like, <laughs> well, we, we jammed at this show or whatever, this thing here or there. Right. But it was all it was again, it was all sort of a, a person by person basis, you know, like he would. I mean, I, I can't I can't say that they were. You know, great friends or anything like that. But I know that he he got along really well with Eric Clapton. Whenever they'd meet up, they would talk about their record collections and all that sort of thing, nice. and they would come across each other. But there was always there was always stuff like that. Um, it was kind of like more, you know, just hanging out with your friends as opposed to oh, you never guess who I met. You know, like it's right, just right. one of those things where it was all he just took it all in stride. Right. Okay. There was
1: there was one person that he, he wasn't necessarily, oh you'll never guess who I met or oh I, I can't wait for you to meet this person. They're so awesome. Like he, he didn't mm-hmm. get like that. Mm-hmm. It was more of a you know what? I really want you to meet this person because I think they're an amazing human being and not only an incredible musician, but it just it, they're just an amazing human being. And one of those people stands out for me was BB King. Oh
0: yeah. really? They
1: were very close. Yeah he absolutely adored him and bb came through toronto i'm i'm gonna say maybe 16 years it was before we had derek and we met him after the show just briefly but i could just see how happy jeff was to yeah. to, to be able to get to visit with him again and introduce us and if that was someone he had so much respect for i could see that and uh yeah they were very very close
2: that's great and, and you know, we'd be at we'd be at shows like there there's two thousand and six, I think it was, when he got the call from Ian Gillan to play on Gillen's solo album. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like restrained about it when he first talked about it, but he was just kind of bursting inside. And it was a combination of the fact that, you know, that someone of, of Ian Gillen's stature, you know, would, would think to reach out to him it yeah. was the one thing. But also the just that he appreciated other people. Who he felt were talented, and if yes. they showed signs of recognizing his own talents, which he was yeah. very humble cool about, then then he he appreciated that even more. And I remember when we went to see we went to see Ian Gillan, uh, Jeff got up to jam with him one night, uh, that's also on YouTube. the recording, I, I think uh, that Jeff did, and we, we stood by the bar, and, and Ian Gillan was letting out these sort of trademark, you know, screams in one in a song, and we would kind of turn. Jeff and I would sort of turn to face each other, and almost you know, in unison, we go, "How the hell does he do that?" Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and,
2: but Jeff was really he really appreciated the talents of other musicians, yeah. you know, yeah. when they when they were able to do something that that he thought was uh, was impressive.
0: That's incredible. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out to the both of you, and you tell me which one of you is better equipped to talk to me about Roadhouse, because that's one of my favorite movies ever. Anytime it's on TV, I can't help but watch it, <laughs> and uh, it never gets old. It's the best in the in the, the just the cheesiest way, but I I love the music that he put in there. I love his appearance in there. Whichever one of you has stories relating to Roadhouse, please share them with us. It,
1: it definitely Roger can talk about okay. I can talk about my experience later of Jeff and I renting the movie and him taking me through it scene by scene telling me about all the outtakes. But
3: Ooh.
0: Okay, let's hear from Roger first, let's hear from you second, Christy.
2: Okay, so Roadhouse came about. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of behind the scenes things that rumors that no one really knew about what how the whole thing really came about. But ultimately, the the, the accepted sort of version is that while they were working on their album, on the first album, uh, their their producer was also working on the the soundtrack to Roadhouse, uh, getting things set up for that, and that uh, Arista, uh, the record label, pushed them, the film producers, to have Jeff involved. In uh, in the thing, apparently the person who wrote the screenplay uh, also was um, had been in Toronto and had seen Jeff play and had written the part based on Jeff mm. uh, loosely. I mean, obviously, just as far as just being Sorry? a blind guitar player, Jeff loved it, uh, loved being part of the movie, but also hated it in that uh, there's a whole lot of sitting around and waiting, and ah. Jeff did not like to sit around and wait. I can see that. So there was a whole lot of sort of waiting for your scene and then short bursts of activity but the whole being in LA for an extended period of time, he was so young, he was like in his early 20s, very early 20s, meeting all these people and just getting to hang out and being taken all these clubs and jamming with people during that time period. And the um, legendary percussionist Bobby Keys, she, uh, she performed on See the Light on that album which was recorded at the same time as they were doing the Roadhouse soundtrack and the movie. <laughs> she took Jeff uh, with her to uh, Nick Fleetwood's wedding uh, oh. not sure which number that was I think it might have been three I'm not sure but um, <laughs> but so Jeff uh, Jeff ended up jamming at, uh at Mick Fleetwood's wedding goodness with Mick obviously and Stevie Nicks and uh, members of the <laughs> L- L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra, and I think John Fogarty was there as well, playing. And anyway, so he had all these crazy, fun, cool experiences that uh, went around uh, being there. But the actual filming of it, he uh, he didn't like the the process. He he became friends with uh, with um, uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, they, uh, they hung out uh, a lot on set. They they really uh, appreciated each other as friends and stuff. So there was a whole lot of Cool and 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 crazy stuff surrounding that. When when the movie okay. finally was was done, I remember going to his place with a bunch of friends. We watched a work print on VHS mm-hmm. of it. You know, we were, we were all just kind of sitting there going, "Wow, really? This is what you're doing for the last six months." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was one of those things that was so like you said. I mean, it's 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 horrible and wonderful and, yeah. and cheesy and fun. Yeah. And all of that stuff, and I think it was the perfect thing, and it certainly, over time, it really grew into itself, like it yeah. became more appreciated for what it was. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that a lot of people don't even realize, like <clears throat> like the structure of the film is based on Greek tragedy, where yes. Jeff is the oracle. So that's what? why you know, he shows up at all these periods where you like, he wasn't in the scene. He wasn't at anywhere near uh-huh. what's going on. And all of a sudden there's Jeff imparting some important piece of information to move the plot forward. And you're like, what it's kind of, kind of, you know, weird that they tried uh-huh. to lay this heady stuff over top of such, you know, sort of a straight up, you know, fun well, action. Music. But yeah, like, so there's all that stuff. Okay. Know.
0: Christy, what uh, stories did you, do you know?
1: Not too many as far as sort of how it came about. But uh, Jeff, uh, early on when, when Jeff and I were dating, he thought it would be funny to, uh, let's, well, let's go and rent Roadhouse. Uh-huh. So we went, went into a blockbuster at the time.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And he thought it would be funny to go to the counter and ask to rent Roadhouse. And the guy was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. And, and he was expecting the guy to you know think it was funny that Jeff was asking to rent it. And um, at that point, I leaned over and I said, uh, dear he's about 18 years old he has no idea who you are <laughs> <That's true. laughs> so, so we, we got the movie brought it home and then he, every, occasionally he would pause it and he would say oh okay well in this scene it took us a little longer to 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 uh-huh. to do the take because you know this person was mixing up his lines and um, actually the, uh-huh. the, the the lecture scene after the first night that uh, Patrick Swayze's character works in the bar and then uh-huh. he Sits them down and he gives the, you know, it's yeah, my nice. way, highway. Right. Yeah. There's a line in it that's supposed to say we sell booze here, not drugs, and he kept saying we sell drugs here, not booze, so they kept having to cut and redo it again because so he kept mixing up the two. <laughs> it just things like that. And there's a, a scene when um, the car dealership gets destroyed by uh-huh. monster trucks, and part of that scene, Patrick Swayze pulls up in a jeep with the the girlfriend character and Uh and, and Jeff sitting in the back. Yes. And Jeff is sitting in the back, but they do actually somewhere on film have an outtake of them pulling up in the scene and Jeff is driving the Jeep. (laughs) That's
3: the
0: best. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh man. I would have paid big money to sit and watch Roadhouse with Jeff Healy. I can't imagine a more enjoyable evening spent than that right there. I love them both so much. That is great. Well,
1: and because he knew what happened behind the scenes or what was going on when it was being filmed, you'd be watching a part that you thought was like, supposed to be serious or you know violent and he'd be sitting there giggling and laughing because he knew what was going on at the time and and i'm like but this isn't funny he goes no no, no. trust me it was funny <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah i would say there's more unintentional humor coming from that movie than intentional humor <laughs> but uh, that's what makes it so much fun i love that movie okay uh, Roger, maybe this is better quick equipped for you. Maybe there's a story here. Maybe there's not. Um, on Hell to Pay, there's his version of Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, Jeff Lynn and George Harrison were singing backup, I believe, on that tune or at least involved or maybe in the in the studio that day. And, it, we, you know, we talked about him not getting too excited or, you know, um, turned on by having famous people around. That wasn't really his jam, but it had to, I'm assuming, feel good to have George and jo- Jeff around. Do you remember any stories relating to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there wasn't uh there. It, there wasn't any... Um, they weren't in the same room at the at the same time. Oh, so okay. One of those. However, uh, so if you go to yeah. JeffEly.com, <laughs> uh, there's actually a blog post uh, um, from a few years back with uh, the producer of Hell to Pay, Ed Stasium. Mm. And he tells the story of how that whole thing came about. And basically, it was sort of said in passing... Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to have George Harrison play on this? Jeff had been performing uh, with the Jeff Healy band. They'd been performing uh, while my guitar gently weeps for years, like in clubs and that. Mm-hmm. And so when they were doing that, you know, again, this was sort of mentioned in passing, and someone from the record company reached out to, uh, to Harrison, and uh, he was, he thought it was great. He was aware of Jeff and, he uh, wanted to be involved, and so he uh, he phoned in, and he and Jeff had a great conversation. As did uh, Ed Stasium, again the producer. So basically, he was in between countries, and he was flying in through uh, I think it was Hawaii, and he had a- an afternoon basically where she could do stuff. So Ed threw together uh, uh, a copy of uh, of what they'd recorded so far uh, on two inch uh, two inch tape, and had it couriered over to um, the studio where uh, George was going to be and then uh, he went in and uh, recorded, he and Jeff Lynn, uh who was, I guess they were working on George's solo album at the time and probably okay. some, maybe some Wilbury stuff, I'm not sure of the timing but, mm-hmm. um, and so the two of them went in and laid down a bunch of acoustic guitar and then they both sang harmonies uh, on the choruses mm-hmm. and uh, and it sounded wonderful and then he yeah. called Jeff again and said, you know, I hope this is okay we are only, only had time to do this and, uh, and, yeah, and he said, this is fantastic. And both him and, and Ed were over the moon. They were, like, you know, pulling up George and Jeff's vocals.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they were fantastic. And yeah. so uh, there's an interview from around the same time period in Guitar Player where Jeff's talked about the whole thing. And he's, he's you know, saying that, you know, in this part of the chorus, that's that's George singing the lead part and I'm singing mm-hmm. the harmony and the next part we flip it and he's singing the harmony and I'm singing the lead. And he, he just loved it. He thought it was so fantastic that George... Mm-hmm. Did it. And George Harrison was very very gracious about the whole thing too. I yeah. mean it sort of plays to to Jeff's uh, sensibilities as far as um, fame and, and stuff like if you act like you're you're a big famous person they right. had time for you. But yeah George Harrison was not like that at all. And he wrote a very a very nice letter to Jeff after the fact, thanking him for for thinking about him and uh, he hopes that he did okay and you know, like give me a call sometime, that sort of thing. And and, wow. and it was very. It was very nice. I mean, I don't know that they had any contact after that. I think probably Jeff, somewhere in the back of his mind, would probably hesitate because again, yeah, you know, it's like someone you know mm-hmm. saying you know you know the queen saying give me a call or whatever. Right. <laughs> it's right. of a completely different sort of stratosphere. But if right. they ran ran into each other again in a in a you know an equal sort of situation, definitely Jeff would have yeah. would have talked to him and hung out. I right? could see that. So let's
0: talk about the trends. What I I don't know if casual fans are fully aware that the second there's a whole second half of Jeff's career that does not involve blues guitar. It involves jazz trumpet and Dixieland. Christy, were you it sounds like you might have been around right about the time that this transition was starting to happen? What did it was he equally as in love with jazz? Did he know how to play the trumpet or did he teach himself? And I want to illustrate this because what a what an amazing musician you must be to go from being, first of all, a blind, excellent, like one of the world's best gu- blues guitarists, to being a fantastic trumpet player. How does this happen?
1: Well, something that I, a lot of people don't realize, Je- Jeff actually played the trumpet in school. so it was ah. his it was his middle school instrument. that's what he started. And he played it all the way through high school. Admittedly, he said he had to work harder at mm-hmm, playing mm-hmm. the trumpet than guitar. It was sure. the guitar was his instrument, but I, I loved his trumpet playing and and um, the jazz he had been collecting traditional jazz from the 20s and 30s 1920s 1930s since the age of 10 so he he received his first record from his grandparents when he was seven years old it was a 78 and they had a gramophone so he would listen to some of the records and and one day somebody was talking and they were visiting family and someone made mention of a flea market and getting more records and he stopped and he went wait, there's more of these? Mm-hmm. And that started the collection. So he okay. started collecting when he was 10. And I think playing jazz was always a passion. I, I think some people think that it's it's something that sort of came into his life later in life, but he always loved playing jazz. He, and as far as the, the band, the Jazz Wizards, that started sort of around the time that we, we started dating. He had been playing around town for quite a while before starting the Jazz Wizards, and and in all the sort of jazz hotspots, the Reservoir Lounge, the Rex, Say What. He had quite a few uh, record collector friends who were always also musicians, uh, one of which, Colin Bray, um, ended up being the bass player in the Jazz Wizards, his jazz band, and they'd been friends, I think, since Jeff was quite young, actually. Mm. Uh, late teens. But then finally, I think, when things sort of changed um, and slowed down with Healy Band, with the Jeff Healy Band, he he decided to change course uh, officially. He really mm. wanted to change that course, and really put some some real time and effort into creating something. I think that he'd been wanting to do for years, which was a jazz band and recording jazz records. And I, I think it was something that he was really excited to do to be able to play. Uh, the same music that he'd had a passion for mm-hmm. for years and, and collected. I mean, his brain was like an encyclopedia for this stuff, and I believe it. He, he mm-hmm. just he lived and breathed it, and to be able to perform it and record it was it was like icing on a cake. Yeah, it's just.
2: Uh, and I just want to slide in for one quick second there. From Please. From from his uh, teenage years, he actually um, had a radio show on a college radio. Playing music, uh, jazz music, uh, traditional American jazz from the 20s and 30s. And then eventually he ended up transporting that show over to the C- CBC Radio, which is our national mm. broadcaster here. And then eventually, uh, in, in later years, he was on, uh, he brought the same format to Jazz FM uh, here in, uh, in Canada as well. Wow. Um,
0: I want to hear everything that's going on now in terms of releases and reissues and things like that give you guys a moment to promote but I Christy if you don't mind I am curious again about these records because I read about that there's like 30,000 art 78s in your basement or were anyway I'm
3: <laughs>
0: maybe this is insensitive but I'm curious how a blind man curates his record collection were they in you know like what it, it, were they That's
1: a very good question and how, yeah, and how did it, he
0: how did he organize this
1: well, Jeff, I'm not sure if he, I don't think he, I don't know if he did it by genre, by year, by artist. And 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 his friend Colin would know that because he went through the records with him.
3: Right. But
1: Jeff, um, just by feeling the grooves of the label in the center of the record could You're tell you what label it was. You yeah. are kidding me. I am not. And many times, if he was working on a project, he'd be in the basement, he'd come upstairs with a record, and he'd say... Can you tell me what that says on this side of the record? And I tell him, you know, who the artist was, what the song was. And he'd flip it over and he'd go, okay, so the B-side is this, right? And I would say 99% of the time he was correct.
2: So for, for as, as, as odd as it sounds, because obviously Jeff had no sight, he actually right. he had a photographic memory.
1: So wow. he could remember B sides of whatever the record was. He always would it was like a big catalog in his brain and yeah. and as far as um keeping them organized, the way he had his shelves built and customized. Whenever he would pull a record, the record beside it he would pull forward so it would roll forward and then he uh. would he would walk his way along the records with his hand feeling for that one record that's that's sticking out. Uh-huh. And wow. then he would remember that the record he had in his hand is to go to the left side or the right side of that record. Wow. Whichever way. And, and that's how he would collect them, which brings me to a funny story involving Please. our son at the age of two. I was I was upstairs and uh, Derek loved listening to the jazz music as well, so Jeff would routinely play lots of his records in the basement and Derek would, would love dancing to the music and all of a sudden I, I heard jeff hollering after derek going derek no derek stop mm-hmm. Derek. Mm-hmm. and i came downstairs and derek was randomly pulling records saying oh. oh let's play this one daddy i share with you and then he would leave it on the floor and then he'd run to another area of the records and pull another one out and jeff trying to listen to where derek was running he's uh-huh. kind of hunched over with his arms reached out trying to you know, reach Derek uh, reach Derek with his head cocked to the side, trying to listen to where he's running, and he's chasing Derek through the through through the basement around oh. the collection while he's randomly just pulling records and leaving them on the floor. So he's trying not to step on the records and he's trying to catch Derek.
3: No way.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so then of crazy. course I had
1: to help him put the records
0: back. Yes. Yes. Um I'm curious what what did you sell the records after Jeff passed? Have you donated them? What have you done with those?
1: Uh, well, as per Jeff's wishes, uh-huh. um, we did break up the record collection and we sold off portions of it to other record collectors because it was important to Jeff that the music be appreciated the way it was supposed Absolutely. to be, uh, yep. which means listened to. He did not want the entire collection stuck on a shelf behind glass, not yep. being. So that's what we did with the help of Colin Bray and uh, Reed Kaiser, many of his his jazz friends. They helped um, organize, and I believe Mike Daly helped as well. They helped sort of section it off, and they were in touch with different collectors uh, here and in the United States. And we did sell off uh, certain portions to other record collectors, which was great because it's what Jeff wanted. Yep. And then there was a large portion that we did donate to the University of Toronto for their music archives.
0: Excellent. So that yeah.
1: they can be accessed and used and researched.
0: That's great. As a as a collector myself of CDs not of records, but I can relate to that so well. You just want to believe that your little babies find good homes after, you know, after you, they leave yours. Yeah. And so that makes total sense. Okay. I feel like we should talk about How and when he died? My understanding is that it was cancer, but it was not anything related to his eyes. Correct? It was was it lung cancer?
1: Well, was he a heavy smoker? It it was technically it it wasn't related to his eyes, but it was. And and the cancer in his lungs that ultimately took his life was not classified as lung cancer. Jeff had sarcoma cancer, Mm -hmm. so it started in his leg, Mm. and then it metastasized. Uh, he had two surgeries on his leg, and then it metastasized to his lungs, w- of which he had uh, a surgery to remove some nodules from his lungs. And then it went back into his legs and came back to his lungs. So, it, it, and and the sarcoma cancer, that unfortunately is is a secondary cancer that anyone with retinoblastoma is at a higher risk for, uh. for getting later in life. So because Jeff was born with retinoblastoma, which which took his sight,
3: mm-hmm.
1: genetically he was at a higher risk for getting other cancers like skin cancer and sarcoma cancer. And unfortunately, sarcoma cancer it was.
2: Mm. But having said that, he was from the age of... of uh, one and a half or whatever he spent the vast majority of his life he was cancer free. he
1: was he was mm. up until up until being diagnosed with sarcomic cancer three years uh okay. and then he passed away three years after that so okay. um actually i think he was he was diagnosed in 2005 just after Derek was born
0: okay do you know passing away at almost forty two. It was just I believe about three weeks before his forty second birthday. Is that a long lifespan for somebody in his with his this health track record or is that short? I don't know.
1: I would say I would say short. Uh really, really because because uh anyone with retinoblastoma if it's treated early on, like we said, his most of his life was cancer free. And and he was not a person who ended up uh, as as a baby, they didn't use radiation to treat the cancer. It, you know, anyone who who had radiation to treat retinoblastoma was at an even higher risk for getting sarcoma mm-hmm. cancer. So his chances were higher than the average person, but not super high. Okay. So really, he he just he got a bad deal.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I lost my best friend to brain cancer a few weeks ago actually. And, um, yeah, and, it, but his, he had been diagnosed a couple of years before and my understanding, he would tell me that, um, even when you have the tumors removed, it never really goes away. You just live with brain cancer until it decides to take over yeah. or just remain dormant. And so I wondered if something like that was happening here. Yes. He had the blastoma as a child, and it goes away, but it's very likely to come back at some point, or do you lead a normal life and 41 is just as young for someone in his situation as it would be for anyone without these health problems, you know? Yeah. I was just well, curious how that went.
1: I think um, as far as the retinoblastoma, that would never resurface, uh, okay. specifically with Jeff, because the retinoblastoma, being cancer of the retina, he, he actually had prosthetic eyes, so he, mm. he did not have eyes and it wouldn't resurface. Um, one of the reasons why they did remove his eyes because if they didn't, the cancer can eventually spread to the brainstem. Mm. So, um, for resurfacing for Jeff, that wasn't going to happen, but just genetically the way his DNA worked, if you have one cancer, you're have a higher risk of getting another one, but there are many people that go on to live long, healthy, lives with no secondary cancers, they just have to to take the right precautions to try and be as healthy as possible and and just kind of stay on top of it. Always get yourself checked.
0: Got it. Okay. One last question I wanted to, I am curious what the last, and you would probably know this. Well, you both would actually. I'm wondering what the last, you know, um, 10 years or so of, of his life was like because he was not as in the public eye anymore. Um, he's not, you know, under stress to record hits and put out big albums and pl- sell platinum records and whatever. It seems like he's settled into his jazz band, owning a club, Healy's, there in Toronto. And kind of he managed to take the success of his early career and use it to tra- to give, to empower him to do what he, I'm guessing, really wanted to do, which was to just kind of quiet it down and lead, lead a more... Normal life, doing what he wanted. Would you say that that was accurate to the to that second half of his career and his life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's pretty much bang on. I mean, in the last years of his life, I mean, he um, had uh, uh, the stresses of everything, of the, the the band and the touring and the records and the all of that stuff. You know, caught up with him, and he had a very public, <laughs> you know, battle with uh, with uh, alcohol. Oh, and, did he? And he, uh, he got himself cleaned up and he was very sober. He was
1: very open about it. He joined a 12 mm. program, and he, he got sober, and he stayed sober.
2: And and wow, does. We are just talking about this the other day. I mean, over, over the last uh, few years of his life, Jeff was kind of moving towards a, a balance in his life. I mean, immediately following everything with the band and when he'd sort of gotten himself cleaned up and he was starting to focus more on the jazz he would do interviews where he would talk about how much you know he, he disliked what he had done before and how mm. the, you know and he would just sort of like just sort of crap on it and 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 talk about it as being lesser but then as as he got a bit more distance he the balance was there and he would talk about it a bit more uh reasonably and, and and, you know, with more, more hindsight, I guess, and distance, he would, you know, he talk about the stuff that he did that, you know, there was stuff that he enjoyed and stuff that he didn't. And, you know, but it wasn't all sort of a blanket, you know, that was before. And this is now kind of thing. Like okay. he, he came to appreciate it a lot more as he got older. Okay.
0: So let's talk about what, uh, you know, what's in the pipeline. How do you guys as kind of executors of his estate and obviously, and the people who own and manage the legacy of Jeff From this point on, what kinds of projects, what's out there for us to pay attention to? What are you guys working
2: on? Well, there's always things in the background, things in the pipeline that we're, you know, have on the go. Uh, um, A few years back when uh, uh, Jeff would have turned 50 in uh, 2016, we had uh, sort of a a flurry of activity where we we did a big show at uh, Massey Hall with uh, a big tribute for Jeff's 50th. It was uh, a... Albert Lee and Randy Bachman and Sonny Landreth and uh, Philip Sace uh, and uh, uh, Walter Trout. It was just a fantastic big show that we did to celebrate. That same year for Jeff's birthday we released uh, an album called Heal My Soul Mm -hmm. which was something that I had wanted to do for a long time. I remember um, it basically it it, we promoted it as a a, uh, quote lost album because well, it was it consisted of songs that were all recorded during a very specific time in his life, right at towards the end of when he was doing the Healy band stuff. So between ninety six and ninety nine, he went through this this really fertile period where he was recording and writing, <clears throat> and like he'd never had before. Um, I think they recorded some, you know three dozen songs during that time period, and only maybe like I think eleven or twelve were released on uh, an album called "Get Me Some." And I remember back then. I remember him playing me some of the demos on uh, on cassette, and him being super proud of them too. In particular, mm. Days of the Night and the song called Baby Blue. And uh, they kind of stuck with me all that time. And after Jeff passed away, when we were starting to sort of go through recordings and things, he wasn't very sentimental when it came to a lot of uh, that stuff. Like he, you know, a lot of things he just didn't hold on to. But he had uh, reference copies of all of these songs that had never been released. So they had obviously meant something to him because he kept mm-hmm. them a handful of moves. And so we started talking to the the record company that owned the uh, the the masters for these and um we ended up spending uh uh, i think it was close to six months putting this thing together where we were sifting through uh through songs and takes and i knew exactly you know what which ones i was interested in getting and what sounded better than others and some things were surprises and anyways went through this whole process where we we stripped everything right back to the bed tracks we had to record new drums on uh, most of them because a lot of them were just sort of placeholders like there were some that where whoever was um, producing at the time would lay down something on electronic drums or just a rough mm. guide mm-hmm. or Jeff. In one instance, uh, we're pretty sure it was Jeff who was playing drums. And so we, we did them all up proper. You know, there was a couple things that we needed to add. But by and large, all of Jeff's performances, anyways, were intact. All his guitars and vocals and harmony vocals and everything mm. like that. And uh, we put out this album. And um, it's uh, honestly, uh, I, in my opinion, it's... I think the best uh rock performances rock blues performances of very nice and i know that's a big thing to say but i I really stand by that and and the the reviews bore it out i mean they it got crazy good reviews worldwide and then later that same year we sort of released a um initially we wanted to do it as a, a, a deluxe edition with a bonus disc but the record company at the time Asked to release it separately. So we made sure that it was tagged with you know, I heal my soul companion And it nice. was an extra five tracks from the album and then a live concert from that time period and now um, To sort of go full circle. That's actually May 22nd um, Eagle Rock uh, Records who owned the bed tracks to begin with um, We've been working with them and we're we're actually releasing those two together as uh, as a deluxe set. Oh, that's uh, great so we went in and remixed a uh, three tracks uh that needed a little bit of uh, tweaking sort of you know one of those can't leave well enough alone <laughs> There's yeah things yeah. That, that sort of i could only hear that bothered me so we right. went and redid a couple things and then all the right. packaging's new and uh, the liner notes have all been uh, uh tweaked or reflected it's a, a single package now but that's coming out this year and i'm pretty excited about that
3: Excellent.
2: Um, We've uh, we've got a bunch of other things in the works. There's some more audio stuff for for down the road. The team that takes care of our web stuff for us had some issues. They were changing over to uh, a whole other system, and so our web store was down for three months. But it's it's back up and running now. And later on this year, we're going to have a bunch of new uh, merch on there, uh, some reproductions of old tour shirts and, uh, and things like that. And and uh, and then like just little by little, we there's a uh, uh, an official uh, biography in the works right now. Nice. Okay. Uh, that, uh, that fantastic writer named uh, uh, Simon Barber, who's in uh, uh, the UK, he's been working on this for some time now with us, and he's interviewed, like, uh, I think it's close to 100 people for this, for this I've book. i
1: seen more than that. And yeah. it's, uh,
2: it's going to be pretty spectacular. There's a bunch of other things that we can't really talk about, but okay. they're always <laughs> in, the, in the works. Oh, well,
1: so sounds little, like it.
2: I mean, the biggest problem with 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 uh, all of this is finding the time. I mean, the, yeah. the estate of Jeff Healy—it's
1: uh, run by two people that have day jobs.
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, and none yeah. of this none of this stuff is um, anything that's geared towards making anyone. Mm-hmm. anywhere rich really I mean we do it because it's because we both love Jeff and 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 well, this and stuff needs to be out okay. how
0: you keep the flame alive
1: well exactly. and, and anything yeah. we do really no matter what it is it, it really is a labor of love and it's about keeping that legacy alive for for everybody and, and I love being able to to see as kids listen to this stuff and 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 realize that no matter what their father's always going to be remembered in the world
0: yeah yeah. You may I was that was going to be my next question. You mentioned Derek a few times on here. How old is he now and does he show a talent for music?
1: Uh Derek is 15. He is musically inclined. Uh, okay. he goes to an art school and he's a, he's a music major and he um he ironically plays the trumpet. Oh. <laughs> uh, but no guitar. Um okay. uh, his the trumpet is his instrument. So he he loves music but we're not necessarily um pushing him in any direction, you know, uh, he's, he's a kid, he's a 15 year old kid and he loves music, but you know what? He loves video games and he loves basketball and he's been taking karate for, you know, 10 years as well. So it's, we're just letting him, uh, figure out who he is. And if music is a part of that, then we're, we're all for it, but we don't necessarily want to push him in any specific direction, uh, in fairness to him as, as a human being really.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I think, I feel like we've adequately told the Jeff Healy story here. I do want to turn it over to you guys. If there's anything that we missed or something important that you feel like needs to be brought up or a story that you particularly like to tell or whatever,
2: any closing thoughts or, um, is there anything we missed? Sure. Uh, I just wanted to, to go back way back into the conversation and just touch on something real quick about, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff's blindness and his, uh, oh. uh and his playing. <laughs> Jeff, and and we sort of followed suit uh, online um, with all the socials and all that. Jeff was blind, but he never felt that that had anything to do with his plane. Mm. Um, It would be, it's something that people point out all the time because it's um, you know the percentage of blind people in the world is a lot smaller than. You know, the incited people. So it, mm-hmm. it's something like you said. I think early on you'd mentioned there's, you know, there was a novelty aspect at first. Yeah, that they played mm-hmm. on for sure. But when people would point out, you know, he's blind and he plays guitar. How can he do that? Mm-hmm. Well, he would always say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with my ears. Right. There's you nothing know, wrong with my hands. My hands were <laughs> fine. You know, we used to say like, how does someone play a fretless bass? Like when you, you can't know, see that. where the frets are, that 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 boggles my mind more than. <laughs> yeah but so he would always you know say yes i'm blind but that's not you know why you know i'm able to play
1: well and Um, i think he really he he never thought of himself as a blind guitar player he thought of himself as a guitar player who happened to be blind
2: yeah exactly yeah
0: Yeah. well and i think it's you know it's been proven by everyone from ray charles to stevie wonder that when one of your senses senses, yeah. yeah when one of your senses is gone. Your others seem to be even more heightened than an average person.
1: And it thinks, so, it's well, interesting because well, I know I, Jeff. Jeff spoke about. Those. Sorry, I was going
2: to say actually, Jeff. Jeff would argue that.
1: <laughs> oh, he? really? Yeah, and Jeff,
2: yeah. <laughs> Jeff would say, and I heard him say more than once. Well, I know more blind people who can't play guitar than can. So <laughs> good point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the way Jeff explained it to me is, he said, "I don't necessarily think it's, it's that this this the other senses become more heightened." It's just that you use them differently.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. So
1: he could walk down a hallway in our house and he could tell whether a door was shut or open
3: mm-hmm. because
1: yeah. of listening.
3: Yeah. And it, yeah.
1: It's, just, it's all there. It's just we use it differently when you don't have one of your other right. senses.
0: That's it. That's it, yep. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, taking the time. We've been talking about doing this forever. But I uh, I just really wanted to hear the Jeff Healy story and get to know him a little bit better. And uh, who better to do that with than the two of you? So thanks for taking some time and talking with me. No, no problem. Thank you, John. Thanks very much. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. We're so lucky to hear from people like Christy and Roger. Thank you so much, guys, for talking with me. And I hope it reminded you if you were, if you hadn't thought about Jeff in a while or you're a fan, but you learned some things you didn't already know or, or you were reminded how great he was, whatever it is, I hope you go check out more of Jeff's stuff. There's so much to be found there. And if you like this format, we've never quite done this before. We did have Blanche Napoleon on a while ago, and we talked about mostly Dan Hartman, but she also was a musician, so we talked about her own career too. But if you like these conversations with people who are no longer with us, who are great and deserve to have their stories be told as well, tell me and maybe we'll do more of them. I want to close it out with Baby Blue. This is a song off of that Heal My Soul album that these guys mentioned in here. And again, all the information you need is at the website that is in the show notes right here. If you're interested in learning more about Jeff, just tap on that and it's all included. And as they mentioned there at the end, there's a ton of things in the pipeline for you guys to, uh, to look after now, um, next week we should have a, a, uh, another bonus episode. It is a deep dive and it's a big one, big one. Assuming Je- uh, Jan and I's schedules work out. That's what is coming next week. As well as of course the normal Tuesday, uh, episode. Okay, so thanks everybody, we love you.